Breakdown, a show where we look at the world of finance through a youthful lens. I'm your host, Sasha, alongside our millennial crew, Jeff. What up? Lucas. Hello. And Jen. Hi. We'd like to welcome back our experts on all things investing, Associate Portfolio Managers, Jason Davis. Hola. And Stefan Kelly. Hey, guys. So this month, or this episode, we're talking about ESG. So firstly, what is ESG? So ESG stands for uh, environmental, social, and governance. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's, that sounds good. Uh, <laughs> and it is a wave uh, going through the investment world, more so at the uh, institutional level uh, than the individuals, millennials. But there's a big push for uh, motivating companies to be ESG, so uh, be better... Uh, participants in the environment have good governance structures where you're not taking advantage of minority shareholders or other people and social just what is your social impact so investors are demanding uh, companies to focus more on this and they're also focusing on fund managers so people managing uh, the money to to focus on these factors as well cool so is it is it mostly then um like if it's mostly fund managers that are worrying about this, is it purely from a like moralistic standpoint or is there any, like is it basically moving away from just looking at the bottom line and considering the larger impact of these companies' decisions? And is that just like an ethical or moral consideration or is there any actual financial benefit to a company being ESG approved apart from maybe maybe feeling better about it if you're someone who cares about that? Yeah, uh, I guess... The way it's uh, kind of portrayed is the more sustainable your company is now, uh, it's more of a long-term mindset for the company. So it's something that gives investors some confidence that, well, this company is concerned about the impact they're having both on the environment uh, and uh, kind of uh, socially. But so consider something like coal companies that used to be they would not be considered really ESG friendly these days. Uh, And coal companies used to be worth a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Coal used to be a very high demand commodity. Well, I still get it for Christmas. So some people... Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) This is the season. Mm -hmm. But but their business was obviously harming the environment. So long term, a lot of coal companies have filed for bankruptcy. Especially in North America, because uh, prices of coal has fallen as the demand for coal has fallen. So if you were investing in a coal company and you were looking at it from a more environmental perspective, you could have seen that as environmental regulations change, coal has become less competitive. So those companies have done very poorly. So from a, it's not just necessarily a financial standpoint, but it can be a future uh, outlook uh, like an impact how you view the company's future prospects. Right. So so because presumably, let's say it's like 1990 or something, and you're looking at, I don't know a whole company, but like let's say you're looking at said company, like even notwithstanding like an ESG as like a, as a catch-all phrase for this, this kind of analysis, like you would probably be coming across those sorts of worries or concerns anyway right like is yeah. that yeah like a- absolutely absolutely like if you're forecasting yeah. something you can clearly see okay we're probably moving away from yeah i mean people that got caught offside of coal being bad for the environment were not looking at all so the the kind of fad today of uh 
companies doing uh, like social reporting and stuff like that. I mean, in back 20 years ago, you probably could have known that coal was not great for the environment. But things have changed. Uh, climate change has become obviously a, a much more important uh, factor in people's mind. So uh, it's become something that people care about a bit more. Okay, so me as an investor, if I'm looking at like individual stocks or maybe like index funds or something, I guess like the question would be, is it sort of like the chicken before the egg? Like are these companies only incorporating ESG and becoming more responsible because they've gotten into trouble? Or is it like them being proactive? Like how do I know what company I should be investing in? It really depends uh, on the company. Uh, also, it's something that can be very difficult to research because not a lot of companies talk about it as much. Uh, as uh, I mean, the companies that are probably doing a good job do talk about it a lot because they want that to be a defining factor of uh, their like company's value proposition. Uh, but some companies you just don't know. Yeah, I would say like from an investor's standpoint, you kind of have to ask the question of, should I be a moral investor? Do I necessarily, wherever my capital, wherever my money goes, do I have to agree with everything they're doing? The reality is you're not going to be able to know everything that they're doing because there's a lot of stuff behind closed doors. So it, it's a broad range. So you can go on one hand, a lot of people say, I don't want to invest in tobacco companies because... Uh, obviously it's addictive, uh, it's carcinogenic, so that's really bad. But then on the other side of the coin, um, there's different labor practices in different countries. So if you don't necessarily agree with that, um, are you not going to invest your money? So obviously child labor, Nike in the 1990s was a huge thing. Um, so where you stand on that, do you... If you don't invest in Nike as an asset manager, you would have been left behind uh, during that decade. But if you did, what are your moral standards? Some people might not even think that uh, it's necessarily um, that bad. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah, like the the. Current... I'm not personally saying. <laughs> I'm not personally taking a stand. No, I don't know that, if but... you know, but we're recording right now, Jason, <laughs> and we heard you say that. So. Yes, you are pro child labor. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I didn't want to talk about this subject. <laughs> okay, but I just bought a Jetta, and VW was under huge scrutiny. Does that make me an immoral person? Like. Should I be avoiding... Oh, those are not questions we can answer. But <laughs> those are questions that uh, you take to the the confessional and you talk but to your priest father's about. Father's <laughs> yeah. um, I guess my question yeah, would be, uh, though, where I mean, do I draw the line? Like, it was a good product at a good price point, but yes, the company did do some yes. not great things. Yeah. Like, and how I mean, as an investor Depending on how far you want to go back, there's not a lot of automakers that you can look at like big large-scale automators today that haven't had something that they've done in the past that would give you some worry about their moral leadership yeah i i think honestly where i stand is that it's tough to it's tough to combine the two it's it's tough to uh completely have all your more to find companies that share all of your morals because uh, you might find a company that does uh, great things that you agree with, but on one side of the business, but the other side, it, there's always going to be something that you can draw that you don't agree with. So you could have a very progressive company 
that's doing great work, but okay, they take money from say Saudi Arabia, and you don't necessarily. So where do you draw the line if you if you uh, don't agree? Like where, where do you draw the line? The flip side is if you have like take the Simpsons for an example. If you have like a factory that's just pumping chemicals into a river, and it's obvious that they're producing fish with three eyes. Okay, maybe you want to stay away from that. So unless it, you want that more fish as a pet, great. So is it kind of just like a case-by-case basis, like whatever you personally feel like you want to invest in? I guess you have the freedom to invest in whatever you want. Yeah. If you want to put your money in something that you think is going to be sustainable long-term, it might be something that's ESG, and yep. it, might, it might be something that's not ESG, but whatever, it's just up to you. Yeah, I think it's an individual, on okay. an individual investor basis, um, but you definitely see this wave of uh, people wanting to check the ESG box. So people want to say, okay, I, I thought about this, but really if you're looking at a company, uh, from the grassroots level, bottom up, you, you're looking at all these factors, you know, that if they have a negative impact, they're not going to be in business for the next 50 years. Right. So you're, you're already looking at that. Now it's just the wave of Unfortunately, checking. Unless boxes. you're a defense contractor in the U S cause then you're going to be in business forever. <laughs> so, it's like ESG something now, it's obviously something now that's more popular. Is this something that companies are finding a way to make themselves ESG just by like, or, is or it, I think pretend that yeah, they are? Exactly. Or, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it used to be that there were certain industries that were kind of, that some people would hold, leave off the list kind of thing. Like tobacco uh, has long been something that a lot of investors have no interest in uh, buying Firearm manufacturers, same thing. Uh, but now, kind of ESG has brought all companies into it. No, so no matter what you do, people want to know that you are doing it in, I guess, the most sustainable way possible. Right, which ma- which makes sense though as well, because like again, you know, not to be too cynical, but you like you know, if you're analyzing a business, if like there's a social impact that could potentially hinder this business's like potential mm-hmm. for you know profits in the future like that would qualify as esg but presumably if you're good at your job you know that that's a thing that's could potentially be on there like i'm yeah. sort of thinking of like coca-cola for example like i realized that there i'm not putting you on the spot but i'm just sort of thinking like that's a company the second that, time in the podcast you brought up coca-cola i'm a big coke guy big <laughs> big coca-cola guy um so uh, uh like, like, <laughs> coke industries with pipelines is that what you were getting uh, to? Uh, so anyway so uh, <laughs> so no my point is like that's a company that has made its like most of its business off of these like high sugar content drinks right yep. so like you know investing in coke would probably be like a great idea but you know 30 40 50 years ago or whatever yeah warren buffett's been a Still a major investor in Coke for and a major consumer, I think. Right? A, yes, very yeah. much. He drinks Coke every day, and Big. he's like almost ninety now. The Warren so. Buffett diet is one I follow. Oh, Warren, Buffett Warren Buffett diet. Warren Buffett, pretty solid. It's almost as good as the plan. Donald Trump diet. But <laughs> oh my gosh. so, I, my question, I guess, is how can you tell if a company um, who says they're like e- they're an ESG company or they follow, you know? How can you tell if they're not, though? I think it's, uh, unfortunately, with financial reporting, a lot of it has to come down to trust. um, Because, uh, like, it's tough. Like, if you're looking at Coca-Cola, what do you know about the company? Um, Like, 
You get to visit Atlanta, the headquarters, talk to each individual. They have global operations, like how they treat their employees in South America. Uh, their advertising campaigns in Chile or Australia, like how they affect young kids, like trying to get kids hooked on these sugary drinks. Like it just, it, in my opinion, it's so expansive. So sure, if companies want to come out and be leaders within the community and say, we're taking these initiatives, that's great, but that's not going to be my my number one uh, factor of desire. So, so to flip it around, how important would it be to you? So if you have your money to invest in companies, how much would you weight uh, how socially responsible a company is versus uh, being able to produce returns over the next 30 years to retire? Like what, what's important to you? I mean, like in my heart, I'm the type of person that cares about, you know, animal cruelty and none of the products that I buy are, you know, no, no leather, no fur. Um, so not tested on animals, you know? So I think, I think being socially responsible would be a big impact on uh, my decision to invest in certain companies. But like, like you just said, it's so difficult to try and really, you know, figure out what company is really ESG. Yep. So at the end of the day, you want to make money and you want to, you know, you want to have a nice life. But it's for me, I'm torn yep. is what I think I would just really need to have a very good advisor helping me and sort of really, really research. But at, like like you said, at the end of the day, there's not much that you can you can do when there's headquarters and there's it's such a huge company like Coca-Cola, you don't really know. Yeah, and there's really just a lack of standardized reporting. Right. Like annual reports follow accounting rules. The rules are or should be effectively the same for everyone. It keeps it simple. When you come to something like this, everyone puts out a different report kind of talking about the things that make them look the best. So it's much more difficult to compare companies on how they're doing versus uh, kind of traditional accounting standards. Yeah, it's, it's like an objective analysis versus a subjective analysis. Yes. Because every company, presumably, to be ESG compliant would have to take different steps to do so, like Coke yeah. would be something different than like a tobacco company or like Microsoft or right. something. But all of those companies are all reporting their their financials the same the same way. So, do you think with all of the you know talk about being ESG compliant and having strong environmental and social governance, do you think that this will become like a regulatory requirement, or I mean, do you think this is more falls into like a fad, like everyone's? Knowing up about the, this, do you think it will carry forward? I think the only way that you can actually have good uh, knowledge to, or like information to do the research uh, requires uh, a regulatory change in which there needs to be a standardized reporting. Right. But how do you have standardized Reporting. That I don't know. I'm um, not a regulator. Right, on something like, because some <laughs> company might not need an environmental... Well, uh, see, but like something, something like, uh, so in America, when they report their annual reports, uh, they're called uh, 10Ks. So everyone's 10K actually has to follow the same pattern. I think the very first one is like something like about mine property. Well, uh, yeah, most companies don't own mines. It still shows up there. 
Oh, interesting. It just says no. <laughs> no but, mind property. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. but it's like so. You, I mean, you can do some sort of crazy exhaustive, but that increases regulatory burdens on companies, and it makes it harder for public companies to uh, continue to report, which makes it less po- popular to be a public company, and that that kind of spirals. Right. But I mean, you've got companies today that have uh, bad. Rec- I would call them bad reputations based on what industry they're in so oil and gas a lot of the major oil and gas companies have started invi- uh, investing in renewable energy i mean it to be honest it's not really ha- like the businesses are very different like they're completely unrelated but some people think oh it's an energy business and energy business there's no relation between the two businesses but they say, well, we have a bad reputation, so how do we offset that bad reputation? Well, we buy renewable projects, we develop renewable energy, which is great, but an oil and gas company that's looking to build a new project is probably looking for a 20% return uh, on that before they would ever go ahead with it. If they're going to do uh, a, like a offshore wind or onshore wind, they're probably looking at like 5%. So they have to be careful because they have investors that don't care. And those investors want to earn the most money possible. So they ha- that's a balancing act that they have to manage. Well, I think that's an important consideration, too, because we as individual investors have more autonomy over what we're doing with our money and where we invest it. But as a portfolio manager, you, that's not really your call to make, like, unless that's what the feedback you're getting from your client is. But I presume if anyone who's managing anyone else's money... Like unless they've been told that I want you to do it this way, like it's it's go it's counterintuitive to do that, which is maybe cynical way of looking, but you you kind of have to like you know separate those two. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people that if you said, well, here's two companies, you can earn ten percent on both of them. Uh, this one is a toxic waste pit, and this one is like a nice forest. I don't think anyone's toxic going toxic pit. waste. Pit. Oh, sorry, sorry. Nice forest. Right? Yeah, like it's just <laughs> it's a great business idea. Nice forest. <laughs> hey, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would double up on that for uh, when you're looking to invest money. Typically, obviously, not typically. Your job is to seek the best return. That doesn't mean necessarily that environmental regulation should not be in place. So it's really like, who does the burden fall on? Yes, mm-hmm. I think that the government should have climate policies. I think that, uh, especially when things go wrong, you should look to correct them. So should that come from investors? Should that come from the government? Uh, and the reason that ESG sits with institutional investors is because that's where that's where the money is. Um, like, I'd love to take my 500 bucks and say... I'm not giving this to you, Suncor, because you have uh, open pit mining. Uh, they're probably gonna. Well, they don't care. They'll have they zero spots. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so that's why it's it's going on the the investor, but uh, or on the institutional side. But um, should that burden be for the investor? Should it be on government? Um, may, government moves slow too. Is the other thing. So right. you have a lot of. Uh, uh, interest special interest groups that want to see change and maybe the, the fastest way is through the uh, the capital markets I don't know because yeah government government moves slow so uh, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be regulation but as an investor you really need to 
to sit back and think, okay, uh, what is my objective here? What what do I want my results to be? What what do I want to get out of here? And then what's the best way? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, as a millennial investor, I don't have too much knowledge on almost any companies or how they operate and stuff. And I assume, like, if I was to invest my money, my first look would be, how am I going to get a good return on this? I don't want to waste this at all. But I think I, what you're saying is there's options that I can be more ESG and still not sacrifice return. But it just it's a matter of research at that point. Yeah. Yeah. The one other thing I wanted to bring up is, like, a lot of ESG that gets talked about now is situational like uh some event happens and uh then this the the company all this stuff comes to light stuff that you would never would have known about beforehand i mean there's tons of examples uh wells fargo in the u.s that's the example we're gonna go with but vw works the same way uh snc lavalin in canada same thing so you have this one event uh that no one really could have seen coming and some people would argue with that but you can't really see it coming. Uh, so Wells Fargo was double charging clients uh, that didn't for products they didn't have. A bunch of things that were TD kind, Bank. TD Bank was doing the same I mean, thing in Canada. Yeah, I would say probably. Oh yeah, I, I think all banks. But yeah, uh, yeah. So, so, so don't use banks. Sorry, yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> you're scaring me here. <laughs> yeah, but, I'm sorry. Mattress. Yeah, money under mattress. <laughs> but, no, no. <laughs> but so but, in the Wells Fargo example. So Wells Fargo, it comes out that they're doing this. Stock price falls, huge. Uh, and then all the people start piling on. All the people start saying, oh, these guys are a bad company. They know what you should not put your money with them. So the, the ESG gets involved. Well, if you owned Wells Fargo beforehand, do you now sell because they're a bad company? Because you know the first thing that Wells Fargo is going to do is they're going to fire their top people, which they did. Now, those, the new people that come in, well, their first job is going to be to clean that up. So if anything, Wells Fargo should now have the tightest compliance of all the banks because they were just very publicly shamed for it. Right. Mm-hmm. So now do you not buy it? But now it's on the list, right? Like a lot of these ESG things function as lists. You can't buy this company because it's on the list. Well, Wells Fargo is now on the list. So do you sell yours after your stock, the stock has already fallen? Yeah. Like It's, it's oversimplifying. Now. Like Yeah, that. and that's what a lot of these things end up being is they end up oversimplifying things. Like SNC, they were bribing governments. They got caught. They reported it. Fired everyone. Those guys are going to jail, hopefully. Uh, some of them have gone to jail. Uh, and then uh, they bring in a new guy whose like sole goal is to fix the compliance system. He fixed the compliance system. They move, they start moving on, but I'm sure that they would now pass an ESG uh, compliance test because at the time their governance was terrible. Mm. But now their governance should well, should be very strong. But the stock is depressed because of what they did in the past. So effectively how ESG ESG is being treated right now is perhaps not the most, like the best way of, of, I mean, that's just kind of, cause it's sort of a binary thing. You either well, are, or you aren't compliant. Like but there's certain, not, there's certain simple. things that are long term. Uh, like if you genuinely believe that we've already passed peak oil and that, uh, the oil is only going to fall from here, like demand for oil, well, those are things that you can factor into your analysis, and that's a long-term thing. But these one-time situational things, 
the diesel scandal, well, all of those guys are gone. Do you think that Volkswagen is ever going to cheat diesel emissions tests again? I would think highly unlikely, especially considering how few vehicles they actually were cheating on compared to the massive penalty it's going to cost them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's very difficult to say this company is good. And even if this company is good this year, maybe they won't be next year. Uh, governance is a very hard thing to determine from the outside of a company. Right. It's just at a certain point, there is a certain amount of trust that you have to put in to uh, the government, uh, that the regulators are watching them and that the uh, the company's board of directors is so good. And But ultimately, like... SNC lost all of their board of directors after the scandal came out, except for one guy. Like, hmm. <laughs> that's that's that pretty do? massive. <laughs> well, they needed to keep somebody. <laughs> yeah, He's so. the only one that someone has the key, right? Like, yeah, exactly. they gotta get in, in the morning. So it's not like <laughs> no. But I think that's a really good point. Uh, just to like sum it up, is that it's you know if there is a scandal with a company and they fire everybody and they fix their compliance and now they're ES- ESG compliant yeah. you know do you keep your money there do you pull your money out from it you know it's like there needs to be a regulation yeah it, it's definitely not going to be the most uh fiscally uh intelligent choice to pull the money because if you pull the money after the scandal chances are you're going to be settling out at the low and you're not doing yourself any favors. Not and it's not like you... Well... Not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily, but more often than not. Like, I don't know what Enron stock looked like, but obviously they had I a think just, governance or fraud. Did it go straight well, to zero? Or did it go I, down? I would... Well, I have no idea, but I would expect it went straight to zero. Enron was, yeah, a big enough fraud that it was just straight to zero. Hmm. That's, yeah. Does that depend that, to buy that's Enron, though? If you uh, when it's zero, any, I mean, Enron, Enron had good assets. Compliant. Enron yeah, had good assets. Right, but so, some of them. blood in the water. <laughs> How do you sleep at night? Yeah, dude, what is wrong with you? I mean, I think this was a, I think this was a good topic <laughs> like a to, to discuss this week, this month. Sorry. Sleep on my piles of money I made from all the non-ESG. I think it was a little bit difficult because it's kind of like we're just like running on the hamster wheel. It's like there's no real like answer to... Nope. You know, it's it's a personal preference. It's your moral compass and your moral standards. And um, it's just great that we had the opportunity to, like, discuss it. Um, and we, of course, want to say thank you to Jason and Stefan for joining us once again. And episode six of The Breakdown next month will be um, a big financial quiz for us millennials i've already started studying have you okay great because let's just recap (laughs) these are things you can't find in textbooks (laughs) (laughs) let's do it let's do the financial quiz get studying great see you next time